Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. I bet you use data to support your suggestions, but guess what? You're probably not using data well, not using it right. Data does not communicate what we want others to do all by itself. Instead, you need to wrap data with a story, sort of a data story sandwich. The person who knows how to do this is one of the most recognized communication and persuasion experts around. We first talked with her back on episode 76 about how to structure your communications to make it easier for others to support your ideas. That's persuasion. Her name is Nancy Drorte, and she has been featured in numerous publications, including Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, and Wired, and many more. She is the person behind numerous TED Talks and keynotes, helping people prepare for important presentations. And today, we discuss the concepts from her new book, Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. And remember, when you hear something, if you want to go back to that, we take the notes for you. You'll find all the important insights from the discussion in that summary. And those notes are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 252. Now to the discussion. Nancy, thanks for coming back to the Everyday Innovators. Thanks for having me, Chad. You have a new book. I have it right here in my hand called Data Story. And we're going to talk about that, this intersection of data and stories. And I know from your other books that you are a big believer in the power of story. Mm -hmm. I am too. We tend to remember things that are communicated in story a whole lot better than anything else. And it tends to move us more, right? That's why we like movies, I think, right? Or a good book because they move us, they connect with us. Tell us about the elements of a good story. Yeah, that's good. You know, a lot of people, when they see the word data and story combined, it freaks them out. Like, mm-hmm. think they think, what, 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 you know, the data speaks for itself. What are you doing? You're, you know, bastardizing the purity of data, you know. And so I just want to go on record that when I say story, I'm talking about the structural device of a story, the three mm-hmm. act structure, the power that it has as a framing device when you've found uh, a problem or an opportunity. We dig into the data. I mean, why have data if we're not trying to identify a problem we have, or we're trying to identify something we can become in the future that's better than who we are today, right? So so once you find those things, somebody has to communicate it. I mean, somebody has to communicate the data. And so I took um, several elements of story as a framing device. I'm not talking about fiction or fairy tales or wives' tales. I'm talking about the fundamental device of a story because like now that now that we can hook up fMRI machines to our brain we can see what's happening when a story is being told and it lights up no other communication device does this so when you wrap your data in the shape of a story it it is more memorable Mm -hmm. and actionable too data by itself is can be pretty boring and dry right and if we add a little context around it maybe we get some information that's helpful Exactly. But yeah. it's still, it needs to be connected to some reason. And like you said, exactly. right, why do we have data? It's to improve something or move towards something that we want to become uh, yeah. something exactly. different. So you mentioned yeah. three acts of a story. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should dive into what those elements are. Yeah. Well, it's classic Aristotelian, like Aristotle years ago in poetics. It's a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
And um, traditional storytelling is that act one, there's this a likable hero. So in the first chapter, you kind of set up the context. Oh, yeah, Luke, he's on a sandy planet. And he has an aunt and uncle and he lives there and he's an orphan. And then the middle is the messy middle. This is where all the action happens. And this is where hardships happen and the battles happen and heartbreak happens. And then the end, everything resolves. There's resolution. It might be a happy ending or a sad ending. Mm -hmm. Western cultures love happy endings, but then it has an ending. So the way it plays out when you're crafting a data story is the beginning you establish, this is what I found in the data. So that's the current realities. And then the middle is what I what's called the messy middle because that's a number that you want to change. That's the number where there's going to have to be a lot of action that humans take to reverse that number or to make that number stronger. And then the ending would be um, what what's called your we call it your data point of view. This is the point of view of the actions that need to be taken. And if you take those actions, you'll create a happier outcome. In okay. and that's the three act structure. Okay. Yeah. And you talked about, about Luke Skywalker, right? And that's the, that's the <laughs> I structure I always think about. I grew up watching, you know, that was the first big movie to go to for me was yeah, Star was Wars. And yeah. Very impactful. And that uh, likable character first, right? So yeah. what is it you found in the data? Mm-hmm. Data can be kind of dry all by itself. How do you make it likable? What are some examples of that? There's like... It's not necessarily that you're making the data likable in the first act. You're stating Mm -hmm. its current situation. Mm -hmm. Like there was Luke, he's on a planet, he had an aunt and uncle. And then an inciting incident happened where then his aunt and uncle were killed when he saw Princess Leia, right? So what you do in in the data is you just state the current reality, the current world Mm -hmm. you're in. And then you say, but uh, this is the data that, this is the data that's kind of either broken or that because it's a problem, or it's data that's leading to an opportunity. And then the third act are the actions you need to take to reverse the the middle of the story. Mm-hmm. So um, I could give you an example, like from the book right, that sure. might um, bring yeah. it home. More. Um, trying to think of one that would be awesome for your project managers. Um, let me give you one. So... Um, we could say this is one with an opportunity in it, a, a three-act structure. Act one is the situation complication resolution. So the situation is the high demand for microchips in our industry has slowed down. That's current reality. Act two is, but we're still paying 6% above market price. That's the messy middle. We don't want to pay percent anymore. Uh-huh. And the resolution is we should negotiate our existing contracts with suppliers to lower our costs. So that's the three-act structure, the, uh, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that could be your little elevator pitch, or it might be so big you have to create an entire document to support the data story, with all the actions that need to happen in support of making this come true. Right. Yeah. Because we're going to take that and now go renegotiate, and we need background for that. Right. Yeah. But getting people to even pay attention to this problem in the first place. So that's our situation. We we create the foundation. We've observed this trend going on. We have data to tell us that. What does that really mean to us? I guess that's kind of the, the middle part. We're paying too yeah. much. Yeah. And then what are mm-hmm. we going to do about that? Yeah. And that was the interesting thing about when I wrote the book is the what What are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I took, I took, you know, we work with the highest performing brands in the world. I mm-hmm. mean, it is humbling. I took thousands of slides that had data on them from these thousands of brands. And I looked at what words are they using? What chart did they choose to convey this thing? What? And I just studied it. And, and the action that people take was 
um, the most startling finding because hmm. there was a kind of a, a finite amount of verbs that kept being used. If you're going to try to get someone to take action, that means you're going to have to tell them the verb they're going to hmm. do the action they're going to do. So I think that part of the book would be super interesting hmm. um, to your listeners because there's a way to pick verbs in the third act, right? That, right. That are at a more strategic level, might meaning like a performance verb, or is it a process verb? So I parsed them into performance verbs and process verbs. So when they're asking people today to act, take action on their projects, um, they'll have verbs to parse, which might be interesting to them. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So when I look at the book, there's all kinds of very specific tips like that, right? And mm-hmm. so the background there is you, you studied the presentations, lots of people using data, and just observe what is going on and how to make that better. So really good action oriented in the sense of, you know, here's tips for you to take action on, right? Very specific instruction. So lots of value in that. Interesting to me, you know, having looked at your other books too, even though this is called data story, this is not a story book, right? Mm -hmm. The the way I look at it is it's written as a set of instructions, right? Very specific instructions with great quotes occasionally in between. And we both like quotes, you know, but there's these great sections, you know, uh, for those watching video. In between of just kind of great quotes to frame things. Looking at your book as a product, I'm just curious, how then did you come up with this format um, in terms of, did you think about, well, should we tell a story through the book about data story? My interpretation is, you know, it's instructional based now. What were the conversations like about that? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so I I kind of work like a mad scientist a bit. And then, believe it or not, oh, this is going to freak you out. All my books, I actually write them in PowerPoint. So if you look mm-hmm. at every spread, every single spread has one idea, it has one title, and it has content that supports the one idea. And I have the most brilliant, um, I'm sorry, but I, I do have brilliant communicators that work for me. So I finished mm-hmm. the book. And, and what I didn't do that I wish I had was have my have my team step back and add more narrative to it. So mm-hmm. there's some personal stories in here, some anecdotes in here that are mine. Um, but now that I'm having, now I'm like, okay, let's now build the keynote from the book. They've been, they've come up with the most beautiful and winsome ways to package it better than I did in the book. <laughs> um, but it, the service of data is, a, it really is a, a structural device um, to help decision making. Right. So if I was to like unpack this great big long story about the data, that's not what this is about. This is about speedy decision making, speeding it up based on the frame the way you frame the data mm-hmm. and how you report it. Right. Yep. So it's yep. kind of a cross between argumentation and persuasion, mm-hmm. um, because it's very fact based, uh, shaped in a persuasive format. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting that you share that you, you write in PowerPoint. Uh, I, I always <laughs> like getting tips on how people just structure their thinking and work. And it doesn't surprise me since you do slide docs, right? Yeah, it is. It's a great big slide doc. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. You know, originally on the map for helping people better prepare presentations yeah. and then communicate kind of in that format for executives. So it works really well. When I was a kid, we used to do our research papers using index cards. And mm. you're just too young to remember that. But I, I feel like my each slide is an index card uh-huh. and I move it around and move it around and move it around until I nail the structure. And then I write all the supporting, I have to see the structure or I can't write uh-huh. weird. I'm weird that way. Yeah. And data, you know, we have to convey that structure for people to relate to as well. Uh-huh. Back to this intersection of story and data. Yeah. A couple points came up in my mind as you went through this one, the resolution. I think sometimes that we kind of stop the story there that we say, mm-hmm. here's the data we have, and this is what it means. And then we expect the so-called you know, decision makers of the organization to 
intuitively know what we want them to do with that data. Yeah. So that third act, the resolution, mm -hmm. is really important for us to communicate. It is very important. Good. And you have power words in the book on how to even make that more impactful. Yeah. And I don't want to gloss over that point that if we're trying to persuade someone, influence someone to take action, yeah. how we structure that communication is pretty important. Yep. Yeah. That's why it's called a call to action. So if it doesn't have a verb in it, you don't have a call to action. You're not asking them to take and, you know, to act on something. Right. And it is humans. I mean, if you think about data too, we're trying to improve human flourishing. I mean, I hope all, everyone who's managing projects listening to this understands that, and I hope their job is to somehow help humankind by completing these projects. And uh -huh. So you have to be cognizant that there's humans in the data controlling the outcomes, right? Whether it's how they're wearing their Internet of Things devices, all the way through to, you know, how many employees we need to complete projects. It's all data most of the time with humans involved. Uh -huh. um, and so those humans are the ones that will change that messy middle if they act a certain way, right? right? Okay. Yeah. I hear a potential objection in my ear. I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, some of the listeners over day innovators that are taking this in that we kind of stand on data some of the time. And I, I hear some people talk about data as in, you know, the facts themselves adds credibility mm -hmm. and that should be enough of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there might be this notion that trying to use that to then persuade feels kind of, you know, used car salesman like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So it, it is interesting because there are people who are in a well-worn groove of data. And part of the function is just tee up the data and hand it to someone else. They tee it up and they say, here's the charts. This is the data in its purest form, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times it goes to someone else to do decision-making about the data. Yet, um, the ability to go in and see the data and even do observations about the data, that is all happening in AI now. I mean, Tableau mm -hmm. has AI that can make observations even. So if they're like, oh, the data speaks for itself, or I'm just going to flip it over the transom to someone at a higher pay grade, what's going to happen is they will eventually within the decade be replaced by a robot. What a robot or AI can't do is decide the action humans should take because of that. And so what would happen to a lot of people would be they could move from a data explorer, right? They're, I'm just going to explore the data and kick out some charts to a data explainer. Hmm. And when you become an explainer of the data, you move from being an individual contributor to becoming a trusted advisor, right? Because if you make a claim about the data and it's true, you make a claim about the data and it's true, you become a trusted advisor to somebody. And then eventually, once you're a trusted advisor, you could become a leader, uh -huh. but it, you'll constantly stay in only being an explorer of the data if all you do is kick it over the transom to someone else uh -huh. to be the strategic advisor, right? Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. There's a tool in the book you talked about, and you mentioned before, the data POV, the data point of view. Uh -huh. And that, that kind of is helping to make that transition, right, to point us towards what yeah. action we actually want taken. Yeah. Can you just tell us how to apply that tool? How do we use this? Yeah. And so that data point of view is the part that a lot of people don't have the guts to make is I'm going to mm -hmm. form a point of view about this data and decide what the action is. So the data point of view is actually the third act of your data mm -hmm. story. It's these are the things, these are the actions I think someone needs to take from it. And so the data point of view has um, two components to it. It's very similar to the big idea in my book, Resonate. Um, and so you have to form a point of view and then you have to uh, tell the world what the stakes are hmm. of the point of view. So I'll just read like, here's a data point of view. Um, a data point of view um, could be changing the shopping cart experiences and the shipping policies could increase our sales by 40%. That's a point of view. Uh -huh. 
if we make this change, it'll happen. And then what's at stake is that we will, oh, sorry, that had two parts to it. It was changing the shopping cart experience and shipping policies. That's the action. I, we need to change them. And that what's at stake is increasing sales by 40%. So you can hear it has what we need to do as an action, which is changing the shopping cart. And then what's at stake is an increase um, in sales by 40%. It's good stakes in that particular situation, but there's always stakes involved. Mm-hmm. Good. The, on the stakes, you know, the, there's another storyteller turn marketer that I like so much, Don Miller. Oh, I I'm sure love you're, you're familiar with the, his framework, right? And I've learned from him the value of adding a little salt into the message, right? And he talks about agitating the problem a little bit and talking about what happens if you don't take that action. Yeah. And I can see that being helpful for that description of, you know, this is what is at stake. Yeah. You know, this is the benefit if we do this. And if yeah. we continue down the path that we're on now, we don't take any action. Here's what the negative things are that might happen, right? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's in resonate too. He, yep. I love him, and and there is consequences. So stakes could be negative or positive, um, but storytelling, uh, all stories either end as a comedy or a tragedy. Right. And so what you're doing is you're saying, if we do this, we'll have a happy ending. If we do this, oh, Romeo and Juliet, you know, remember them. Um, so yeah, it's very effective. Hey, Dad, I was just thinking about your book. What's its title? Turning Ideas into Market-Winning Products. Is that about alchemy? (laughs) Okay, that's an interesting question. It's kind of, I guess. It's actually about how we find insights, that we uncover problems, come across ideas, these unmet needs that customers have, that we can then turn into some product or service that creates new value for them in a way that really is different than others. That's market-winning products. So why did you recently make a second edition? Well, the first one was a few years ago, and recently AIPMM, that's the Association of International Product Marketers and Managers, contacted me about providing that original book to some of the people that are earning uh, their certification. And I said, that'd be great. I'd be glad to help out with that. And that was a good opportunity to update the book and bring in some new information. Okay. So where can people get your book? Well, it's on Amazon, of course, but even more importantly... They can find many of the key concepts for free in my online course. If you're selling the book, why are you giving away a free course? Because I really do want to help as many product managers as I can have this notion of what it takes to make market-winning products, to take ideas and turn them into products that customers love. Okay, I get it. Where can product managers get the free course? That's easy. You can just go to the everydayinnovator.com slash book and sign up for the free mini course. Easy to do, and you'll get these little lessons that just come into your email box. Are you sure it's not about alchemy? (laughs) (laughs) As I was looking through your book, thinking about our time together talking now, one painful memory that came back to me was when I was a not that young of a product manager still and presenting some data to the CEO of the organization, $10 billion a year in revenue. And this was a pet project that he wanted to do. It was a product that came out from, and I should have had this context and I did put this context together in my brain before we started talking. But the context was he was talking with a key customer. They had this problem. He said, hey, we can fix that problem for you. And I was the product manager that was investigating this, right? And the research I had done indicated that he was correct that other customers have this problem. 
And then the little thing that we discovered along the way was no one was willing to pay anything to fix this problem. Oh, wow. So yes, big problem, but not one that they were going to change how they work or they were going to pay anything to, to solve it. Yeah. And so I presented this data and I did not do a third act, right? I just presented the oh. findings, right? Oh, wow. Because in my mind, the third act was obvious. It's like, we should not develop this product if no one's going to pay for it. His position was that we'll find out after we launch the product. <laughs> and and if I had the full context, I would have thought, okay, large customer, he made a commitment to, there's more to this picture than just yeah. the product itself, which made me ponder about the context is kind of important here. You know, as you're creating this data story, what is it that you want to know about your audience? Oh, that's a really good question. So do you think he made the right decision? I'm curious. No, I don't. Yeah. But it, in the end, it didn't matter because we, we ran into a technology challenge. Mm -hmm. We could not develop the product. Oh, interesting. So it never got to market. So Yeah. 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 And there is a, um, a big, all of our work is based in empathy. Like, so audience empathy is huge. I, I ask you to do a couple things in here. And one of them is be your own skeptic. Mm -hmm. Go back in the data and try to prove yourself wrong. Like also, because when you get in front of an exec or powerful people or PMs do it all the time, right? Because you guys manage a lot of cross-functional teams, right? Mm -hmm. So you will have more skepticism than most. And you have to take a walk in their shoes and really understand every single way they might resist, every roadblock they might put up, everything they're going to do to stall your timeline, all of that stuff. So um, if you're, if you're the book in this book, so in Resonate, I have a whole lot about know your audience. And in this book, I specifically um, gave some empathy tools for executives because mm -hmm. a lot of times decision-making goes up and there's three things an executive cares about, like literally three things. I, I may be the first person ever that first executive ever to tell people, Hey, these are the three things I care about. Mm -hmm. um, but an executive cares about, they have three performance lever, levers. I call them performance levers, money, market, and exposure. Hmm. So an executive is trying to drive up Revenue, this is under money, trying to drive up revenue, trying to drive down costs. Uh -huh. Their market, we're trying to drive up market share and drive down time to market. And under exposure, we're trying to drive up retention, employees and clients, and we're trying to drive down risk, right? That's it. Uh -huh. My exec team meetings are all about this. So if you have a proposal, you have a data story that you found and you're writing a recommendation, if you can't fit it into one of these three categories, it's, it's not going to get the attention of the execs, uh -huh. right? If you think it's important and it deserves to sit on the or sit in the inbox or on the desk of the exec, you need to have somehow find verbs <laughs> that fit into these three things, right? right and right. so um, that that helps. So this is actually an audience empathy tool mm -hmm. to help them understand, and then and then go to the verbs, right? Go to the right verbs right. to support it in one of these um, three areas that executives are measured on. I'm measured on that. Well, I'm measuring myself, right. but every exec, I vetted this. And they're like, yeah, that's finite. That's what we're mm -hmm. measuring. Those are so, the three areas. If they can't see something that keeps them up at night in your proposal, then you right. know, yeah. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. So yeah, you've talked about this before in other books and, and good practice. Know your audience first, right? Yeah. Who are you crafting the message for? Yeah. And then this clarity is really important. So for the executive, we know there's three things on the executive's mind that we have to connect to at least one of them, right? So right. money. Right. Up or down, right? More revenue, mm -hmm. decrease cost, market, yeah. increase market share, decrease our time to market, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. exposure, drive up yeah. the retention, customer increase value, retention. and yeah. uh, drive down risk out of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. 
That's good. At least that's what I care about. If yeah. you want to make a proposal to me, that's going to get my attention. <laughs> yeah, right. And I know, and organizational culture comes into play. There's some like risk for some things trumps yeah. everything else at times. And you yeah. have to figure out how to frame it properly then if you know that's going to be an issue for you. Culture is under retention. Culture is, a, it depends on how you define it. Sometimes it's just the DNA. Like mm-hmm. that's always part of it. But some people put culture under retention. Yep. Yep. Good. Okay. So that's three good specifics for us to keep in mind, right? Money, market exposure. It's really good. So data, we have a story with three elements in it. We're going to mm-hmm. tee up the information itself. What I found in the data, we have that messy middle part, right? Kind of what does it mean? What's going on? And then the conclusion, that point of view, what action do we want them to take? Okay, so this frames things well. Do you have another story you just want to share? Another example of this, putting this into action? Um, There might be one in the book or another one that comes Um, to mind. You know, I I think I've had my own journey through data. You were Uh just, uh, I'll tell just like an anecdote. Um, We're a creative firm and I have... I think I have 20 project managers here. So um, I never dreamed that my own shop with just 120 people in it would be consumed with data to where we are. And I think um, one of the things that uh, I've had to encourage my people to do, so even my creative director spends, I mean, she's supposed to be creating the most winsome and beautiful things on the planet. And she's, you know, doing (laughs) data. She's in the data. And I think one of the things that gets lost on us is how much intuition we mm. need. So I feel like we turn a part of our brain off when we're in data mode and we forget that there is a whole nother component to this that's intuition. And I just, I would really love to encourage everyone to also, if you're kind of like mm-hmm. what you said, I mean, your gut was like, this is the wrong decision. And it really was. And I think sometimes the only thing that'll make us have conviction around the data, like, oh my God, this is what the data says. It is so self-evident that this is what we need to do because the data says this. You just have to marry it with conviction and with intuition mm-hmm. um, to really sometimes make change. And so I just don't want that to get lost on us all. And and as, a, as you learn to lead and start to take risks, that intuition is going to get more and more and more important to become a strategic advisor because there's a lot of times as you move up in an organization, for those who want to grow into management, a lot of it is moving on what your gut is telling right. you. And if you get too caught up in making sure data can prove every single step you're going to take, it'll slow you down instead of speeding you up. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Even the best leaders, they're not making the right decision all the time. Yeah. Some of the time, it's just the speed, right? Right. Getting action in area, learning and adjusting. Right. And intuition is important. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. For us as product managers, mm-hmm. there, there's been this trend that we tend, I think, to over-rely on data at times yeah. right now. Yeah. And we're taking sometimes a human element out. And yeah. I, I've seen data exploration projects where up front, if we would have had a discussion about what we we're really trying to accomplish, yeah. and we brought in everyone's experience. We would have got through it much more quickly because it was more self-evident than, uh, than may have first well, appeared. Context always helps, yeah. right? So bringing other perspectives in even changes sometimes how you approach the data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So appreciate you writing another book to help us influence people, persuade people, and work with data better because we, we do that a lot. And I want to encourage people to get the book just because it does have so many good specific tools in it, including those action lists of words for how just to frame yeah. things, right? To be more persuasive with your audience to cause the changes. And money market exposure, that's golden. That framework is really good. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. What do you have for us? 
Oh, okay. So I'm going to, I've never done this before. I'm going to quote myself. That's perfectly all right. It's, it's, is that perfectly okay? Yes. Because like my own quote is inspirational, I guess. I don't know. But people, this is the quote that people uh, quote of mine the most. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, from the end of my TED talk where I say, uh, the future is not a place you go. It's a place you will invent. And so same goes with data. The actions you do today are going to create your future data. So um, it's true uh, for both. I like that. So there's been some other quotes shared at times that have sort of that notion wrapped around it. And I really like how yeah. you, you phrase this one, which is if you want to go someplace, invent that future, right? Invent what the future looks like. Yeah. Very powerful. And a good shout out also for the TED Talk, which is very yeah. good analysis of Martin Luther's It's a Dream Talk. And it's just really powerful. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well for anyone that has not yeah. seen it. How can people just find out about the work you're doing, get their hands on the book? Oh, that's fantastic. So book's available in all bookstores, um, online and brick and mortar. We have a workshop um, of the same name. And then I'm available at Duarte.com. I do connect to everyone who connects me on LinkedIn. And I'm at Nancy Duarte and at Duarte uh, on Twitter. We're just kind of now getting it Instagram. So they can get us there now. Mm-hmm. We're looking to that party. Facebook is at Duarte also. So we got all them all those channels going now. Great. And what's the URL for the website? Duarte.com. Okay. So easy enough to find. Yeah. Good. Nancy, thanks so much. It's a pleasure thanks. talking with you. And I'm glad we learned a little bit about how to put data in the right perspective and be more persuasive with it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find the written notes of that great discussion with Nancy talking about how we can be more persuasive through data when we wrap it in a story. Those notes are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 252. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.